Bayhills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we begin a new series, Bankruptcy. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil has us looking at why the Bible has so much to say about money and finances and how much of our lives is wrapped up in what we have, the things and money. Listen as Pastor Dave shows us some principles and ideas God gives us on handling money and possessions. Go ahead and grab the study guide that's in your program and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, page 944. If you're using one of the church Bibles, page 944, Matthew chapter 25. As you're turning there, I want to read a story that uh, uh, someone emailed to me a while back. It says, there were several men in the locker room of a private health club when a cell phone uh, that was on one of the benches rang. And one of the guys picked it up and he answered, hello. Hi, hey, honey, it's me. Hi there, sugar. Are you at the club? Yes, I just got done lifting. Great. I'm at the mall and I I saw this wonderful, beautiful mink. It's gorgeous. Can I buy it? Well, what's the price? It's about $1,500. Sure, go ahead if you like it that much. I also, by the way, stopped by the Mercedes dealership and I saw the 2014 model. They they said that if I trade in my BMW, uh, it will only cost about $65,000. What do you think? I think that's great, but make sure you get the black one. Okay, one more thing. Do you remember that house we really liked that we commented on last year? The brick one with the pool, the English garden, the fish pond in the front, the three-car garage? Well, it just went on the market for only $2.5 million. Would it be okay if we called our real estate agent and we put an offer in on the house? There was a long pause, at which point the, the man responded, Okay, but tell him to offer $2.2 million and see if they bite. The woman was beside herself. Thank you so much, sweetie. You're the best. And she hung up. The man then paused, took a deep breath. He held up the cell phone and asked, Hey, does anyone know who this phone belongs to? (laughs) Today we are starting a four-week series on money and finances. Uh, If I'm honest, uh, it was hard for me to scale back. I could have had 14 weeks on money and finances, because the Bible has so much to say about this topic. I don't know if you know, but two out of every three parables deal with money, finances, and possessions. One out of every ten verses in the gospel deal with money and possessions. Twenty-five hundred verses in the Bible deal with money and possessions. God, in the Bible, talks more about money and possessions than he does about prayer, heaven, and hell combined. I don't know if you know that. Well, why is that? Why does he spend so much time talking about our money and our funds and possessions and what to do with them and what not to do with them? Honestly, because but I think he knows that that he knows what 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 we are like. And if this book is meant to help you and help me and the things that matter most, we, if we're honest, spend most of our lives with respect to money, trying to get it and then trying to spend it, and then trying to save it, and trying to invest it, and trying to protect it, and trying to insure it. Most of our lives is wrapped up some way or another, directly or indirectly, with what is ours, and our possessions, and our money. And so God says, I'm going to give them as much information as I possibly can to help them. The, the problem is that as important as money is to us, isn't it true that for so many of us, when it comes to our finances... We feel overwhelmed, we feel stressed, we feel strapped. As important as it is to us, it's amazing 
How many of us struggle from a stress standpoint when it comes to this issue? So I am, I am, I'm not going to bring out a calculator anytime the next four weeks. I'll give you some numbers at some point in time, but uh, I am going to look at God's word with you. And I, I'm, I, I hope that it's going to be really helpful as we look at principles and, and as we look at ideas about uh, what God has to say about our money and possessions. Now, we're, we're going to do this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. If you have your Bibles open, we're not going to start with the first story, the parable of the ten virgins, as interesting as that may be. I don't have a clue what that's about. We're going to go right into verse 14, right? The parable of the talents. I have never taught on this passage um, and yet it is a significant passage when it comes to trying to figure out and process what we think about uh, when it comes to finances. OK, so the, the, if you're taking notes and I would encourage you to either take notes or zero in on a couple of principles and lock them in. The very first principle, as Jesus starts telling this story, is to help us understand that everything that we have, ultimately it belongs to God. I don't own it. It belongs to God. Let me show you the first verse. Here's how it starts. Let's put it on the screen. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags of gold and to another one bag of gold, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, what I want to do is I want to identify some key words for you in this passage. The, the, the first is you need to understand, as Jesus is telling a story, that the man in the story is Jesus. He's the man. He's the business person. He's a, the owner in the story. The, the servants, that's you and that's me. There's varying numbers. He, he talks about three servants. We're the servants in the story. Now, he starts to distribute his wealth. And it says that he starts to, he gives one guy five bags of gold. Now, if you have anything other than a new NIV translation, it'll probably say he gave them five talents. Five talents. I put it there on the screen for you. Um, literally, the, 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 the Greek word there was the word talent. But the new NIV that we have in, in, the, in the chairs is trying to help us understand that a talent was a measurement of gold. It was a weight of gold. So the new translations are trying to help us understand it. It's like having five bags of gold. Now, technically speaking, the word talent uh, as a measurement of gold, we're not sure as you read this passage, is, uh, is Jesus talking about a Roman talent, a Babylonian talent, or a Greek talent? Depending on which one you pick, it impacts in the value of a bag. Is it a small bag? Is it a big bag? We're not sure which measurement he's using. Now, there are all kinds of varying uh, ideas in terms of what the minimum and what the maximum is. Let me just give you the ranges. Let's put it up there. The value of one bag of gold, you guys have heard of Rick Warren. He's a great pastor. He says one bag of gold, one talent was worth $1.8 million. Okay, so this isn't just a few coins. Right. Wikipedia, that's the lowest on the end is a one bag of gold or, or one talent was five hundred thousand dollars. Now, for the integrity of the story, frankly, it doesn't matter the worth at this point. I've given you the high end. I've given you the low end. Here's what matters. Here's the point. The point is, is that the man is wealthy beyond means. That's the point. Whether one talent is 500 grand or 1.8 million, this guy is loaded. And he starts to distribute what he has to you and, and, and to me. Eventually, it says he goes on a journey. 
Basically, that's Acts chapter 1. Right after the resurrection, Jesus ascends into heaven. He goes to a journey. And at some point in time, he's going to come back. It's called the second coming. Now, by far, however, as important as these words are, there is one word that is the most important word in the text. It's this one right here. The businessman, the individual, entrusted his wealth to the servants. So whose money are we talking about? Whose does it belong to? It belongs to him. Now, this principle, the idea that everything I have, everything I own belongs to God is the first and the most significant financial principle that we're going to cover in four weeks. It's the first domino. If if you struggle with this principle, if you ignore this principle, if you decide, you know what, I'm going to take all the rest, but this one, nah, I'm going to ignore this one. You're going to struggle with everything else. Generally in life, you're going to have financial issues, whether real issues or right here between your two ears. This is the most significant principle. If you get this, if you understand it, if you assimilate it into your life, everything is easy. Everything just kind of happens after this. Everything kind of flows after this point. We have to get to the point of understanding that what I think I own, it's really just a loan. He's just lending it to you. That's the principle. You guys want me to tell you what's, what went on with the $100 bill and during announcements? You want to know what's going on there? Here, let me tell you what's going on. Here's what's going on. Um, Yesterday, I called Brian, my friend Brian, and I said, I need to meet you before service. And so he came a little bit earlier. And, and before service, I, uh, I gave him a $100 bill. It's my $100. And I said, Brian, what I need you to do is I want you to hold on to this $100 bill. Okay? Some of you, by the way, came in late. I, I kind of made this thing in the middle of announcements where I need $100. And it was fun to look at their family, the family right here. They're like... The pastor's gone and lost his mind. Now he's going to be dedicating our child. What is going on here, you know? But I gave this to uh, I gave this to Brian. I said, I want you to hold this. This is my money. You put it in your wallet. And at some point in time during the morning, I'm going to ask for it back. Whenever I ask for it back, whether it's convenient or inconvenient, I want you to cough it up. I want you to give it up. No hesitation. It's my money. So you give it to me, you know? Um, by the way, now that I'm speaking of it, he did hesitate a little bit. You see how he let me hang it up here, bro? You know? And the best part, the best part is I told him yesterday on the phone, don't tell your wife, Missy. Did you see what she did when he went like this? She slapped him. Have you gone and lost your mind? What are you doing? You know? She did this because she thought it was his money. It wasn't his money. It's pastor's bling. It's my money. Right? Here's the point I'm trying to make. Every single hundred you have in your bank account is not yours. It belongs to your heavenly father. The car you drive in, it's not yours. The house you live in, not yours. The jewelry, not yours. The flat screen, the golf clubs, the laptop, the new tablet, not yours. That's the whole point. So if at any point in time, he says, I need that one thing back, it, we shouldn't have to even doubt we shouldn't resist. Why? It's not mine. And so many of us struggle with this principle. We struggle with it. Now, some of us are quick and we're thinking, well, wait a minute. I, I worked for it. 
I mean, I, I work for this. I earn this. Uh, the Bible knows we're going to go there. And there's a couple passages they talk about. Deuteronomy 8 is one example where, where God says, no, don't forget the abilities you have, the intellects you have, the skill you have to earn wealth. I gave that all to you too. It's all mine. In other words, everything you have is mine. I'm lending it to you. I'll let you have it. I'll let you use it. I'll let you enjoy it for about 85 to 90 years. Then I'm going to take it from you and let someone else use it for another 85 to 90 years. That's how it works. See, my thinking is off when it comes to money and possessions when one of three things is true. I'm going to spend the most of our time on this point. The last two or three are going to go quick. Here's what I mean. My thinking is off when my self-esteem is based upon what I make and or what I own. If I think that my value as an individual is based upon how nice a car I drive, the kind of house I live in, the kind of vacations I take, if I start believing that, that is not only psychologically dangerous, it is theologically inaccurate. Your value is not based upon your wealth. Bible never teaches that. I know my thinking is off when I assume that my standard of living equals quality of life. Have you ever been to church? Have you ever heard a pastor say something like this? Money can't buy happiness. Have you ever heard something like that? I've been in church. I grew up in church. I've heard that quite a few times. Money can't buy happiness. It's one of the stupidest things I've heard in my life. I'll tell you this. I'm a lot happier with $100 in my pocket than Brian's pocket. I am. I prefer to have $200. The issue isn't that money doesn't or does make you. It does make gives you some amount of happiness. The issue is that it doesn't give you lasting happiness. It doesn't give you real joy, lasting joy. That kid, no money. That's why he's upset. (laughs) If money automatically equaled wealth, then the richest people in the world would automatically be the happiest. Isn't that true? And all you got to do is turn on your TV or pick up People magazine and start leafing through it. And what we realize is the people with the most money, they aren't the most happiest. In some cases, they're the least happiest. Have you ever met some family that's dirt poor, and yet they're just loving life? And you're like, what do they have that I don't have? They figured this out. Standard of living doesn't automatically equal a higher quality of life. And my thinking is off when I actually believe that my stuff is my stuff. And that's the last point. That last point is this whole chapter 25. You could talk about the theology of money. And uh, I, I think I have it for, for you. I have it for you in here. Let me put this last slide up here and then I'm going to go to point number two. Like I said, I'm spending a lot of time on this one. The theology of money um, or how you think about money. There's four different ways that Christians think about money. I'm not talking about us versus the world. No, I'm talking about Christians. You have what's known as prosperity thinking. This was made popular by TV preachers, you know, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. And it's the idea that what I have and what I drive and what I own is really a reward for my righteousness, for my obedience, for my faith. So when you leave church and you're in the parking lot, parking lot, someone who believes in prosperity thinking is it, this, is saying this. If you see someone with a brand new, let's pick a fancy car, a Lexus or a BMW. If you see someone with a brand new hot car oh, and you see someone driving a 20, 20 year old Civic, what you can conclude 
is that the person with the Lexus, God is pleased with them more than the person with the Civic. Because money is nothing more than a reward for your righteousness and obedience. Are you following the train of thought? Every single way of thinking has their favorite verse. One of their favorite verses, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It says something like this. Jesus says, give and it will be given unto you. And so what, what people do is they twist that verse We start to use God as a genie, rub him on his head, and the only reason that I give is to get from God. They talk about seed giving or seed faith. I'm giving to God only so I can get stuff back from him. Does that ring true to you? It's not what the Bible teaches. They take one verse, two verses out of context, and off they go. Now, poverty thinking, completely the opposite. People who believe in poverty thinking are, are, are individuals like monks hundreds of years ago. You know, they just have like sackcloth on their body. The Amish are poverty thinking. Completely the opposite. They believe possessions are evil. Possessions are bad. Nothing can come from anything of value. You know, if you have something nice, problem. Nice flat screen, problem. A cruise vacation this summer, problem. Why? Well, Luke chapter 18, 22, Jesus says... Sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then you can follow me. See, that's what he says. Obviously, even Jesus thinks that money and possessions are bad and evil. Now, they take it completely out of context. You've got to read the whole chapter to understand the point he's making and the person he's talking to. But, But we don't like to do that. Not when we're trying to pick our own little theology. Okay? So poverty thinking is opposite of prosperity thinking. Now, this third category is, frankly, what the typical American Christian falls into. It's what's known as suburban thinking or suburban theology. Um, they, they, we believe, it's my right to have nice stuff. I mean, it's just the American way. Uh, I deserve to have nice things, right? First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, whatever you do, make sure you take care of your family. If you don't take care of your family, it's, you might as well have lost your faith. So what, what, what people can do is they interpret that to me. Well, now I have free reign to buy anything and everything possible, even if I have to buy it on credit. I mean, my, my 12-year-old, they, their iPhone's like eight months old. They need a new one, you know? By the way, prosperity thinking, they buy top quality purchases. And you understand why, right? It it shows their faith. Poverty thinking buys low quality purchases. You know, even if you can afford some afford Air Jordans, don't buy them. Go to the Salvation Army and get some someone leftovers. Suburban thinking, they don't do top quality purchases. They don't do low quality purchases. You know what they do? Quantity purchases. As many as I can buy. I can't fit it into my garage anymore. I can't fit it into my closet anymore. It doesn't matter. It's our way of living. More, 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 more. And what the Bible says is no. What you need to understand is that God teaches stewardship thinking, where possessions are a trust from God. He entrusts them to you. He lends them to you. He says, watch over them. By the way, the word steward is the the English word for, old English word for manager. That's what you and I are. We're the manager of God's stuff. And you get to use it, and you get to enjoy it, and you get to drive it, and you get to live in it, but it's not yours. And once you get this, once you understand this, 
Everything starts to fit together. First point, what I have, what I own is not mine. It belongs to God. Point number two, write this down. We need to be thankful for God's incredible blessings. Continuing on in verse 16, we read this. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag of gold went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Let me ask you a question real quick. If you had to choose, which one of these three guys would you want to be? Would you want to be the guy with one bag of gold, two bags of gold, five bags of gold? Would you want to be the guy that, 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 that Jesus gives half a million dollars, one million dollars, or 2.5 million dollars? Which one would you want to be? I want to be the guy with 2.5 million. I'll take the 2.5. I'll, I'll, no, I'll take care of it for you, Jesus. Yeah. Easy. Easy question to answer, right? Now, the reality is, now, we're the servants. He gives different people different amounts. That's kind of obvious, right? We don't, we don't, um, we don't, we're not all equally wealthy. We all know that, right? Uh, we don't all have the same economic status. That's the reality of life, right? So it kind of falls into place. Some people get one, some people get five, some people get two, so on and so forth. But let me ask you this. Symbolically speaking, which one do you actually think you are? Do you think you're the one bag, two bags, or five bags? Do you think you're at the top of the economic pile, kind of in the middle, or at the bottom? Which one do you think you are? See, this is what's interesting when we read it through our lens, through our understanding of what's happening. Uh, let me give you... Um, let me give you some statistics, okay? Let me give you some statistics. If the world's population were reduced to 100 people, I, I counted, um, and in the blue chairs in these two sections right here uh, is about 100 people. So if the world was just the two sections in the middle, blue chairs, that's the entire population of the world. You get it? Then 70%, 70 of the 100 don't know Jesus. We got some work to do. 30 are white, only 30. Um, 51 are women. 70 of the 100 can't read. 80 of the 100 live in substandard living. You know what they, they mean by substandard living? Uh, they mean one of three things. You either don't have a roof over your head, you don't have running water in your house, or you don't have electricity. And 80 of the 100 live in substandard living. If we're missing one of those for one day, we go crazy, don't we? 80 out of 100 live like that in the world. 50 are malnourished. And one of the 50 is under the age of 10 and is dying because of malnutrition. My friend, Pastor Robert Gatua from South Africa, from Kenya, he came and visited last year. And he said, you know, one of the things that I love America, he says, but one of the things that it's hard for me is when I, when I, if I, if in when I've gone to a, a buffet restaurant. He said, we don't have those in Africa. And he says, that I don't mind food everywhere. He says, what I mind is seeing how much food gets thrown away. And he talked to me about a, a unique thing that we have in the United States of America. We call them garbage disposals. When's the last time you put garbage in your garbage disposal? I don't put garbage in my garbage disposal. You know what I put in my garbage disposal? Last week's spaghetti I don't want to eat anymore. And he says, you know, as an African, I struggle with that because my continent is hungry. 
But here are the financial stats. Let me show you. Let's put them up on the screen. The financial statistics is that six out of the 100, six out of 100 have 50% of the wealth and they all live in the United States. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six. You six have 50% of everything. It's just a story. It's pretend. You know, they're like, yes. 50% of everything in the world. The average person in the world lives on less than $2 a day. I can't even get a happy meal for $2. You know, uh, if you earn $45,000 a year, you are in the top 90% wage earners in the world. Well, I'm on section eight, so I, I can, I'm not in that. Oh, I'm glad you asked. If you're on welfare in the United States of America, you live better than 95% of people of those living in India, Mexico, and East Africa. And just to make sure that I'm including myself in this, I and all this full-time staff at Bay Hills are in the top 1% highest paid pastors in the world. <laughs> Finance committee is like, we're bringing that up next budget year. You know? Uh, by the way, I'm not bringing any, all of this up to make anyone feel guilty. I have other techniques as a pastor to make you feel guilty if I want to do that. You know what I'm bringing this up? I want you to be, feel blessed. I want you to be thankful. I want you to leave here and if you're going out to dinner in a car, you don't have to walk to feel good about it. I want you to feel good that you can this week wear a different pair of shoes every day of the week. I think that's awesome. But I don't want us, and we'll talk about this down the road, I don't want us to start comparing ourselves to the one person we know that has 10 bags of gold and think, why can't I have what they have? Let's put things in perspective. In the context, we are so blessed. We have so much stuff. Enjoy it. Enjoy what God has given you, okay? This is not about God not wanting you to have good and fun stuff. But enjoy what he's given you. Don't always be wanting and thinking about more, more, more. Let's keep going on. Now, point number three, one day we will have to give an account of how we manage God's possessions. I don't have all these verses on the screen for you. Uh, just the first verse, but we're going to read 19 through 25. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. In other words, we're going to be audited. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. He says, master, you entrusted me with five, five bags of gold. And I invested it in a startup company called Amazon. I've gained five more. He made a killing, Right. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's happiness. Verse 22, the man who had two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've doubled it. I gained two more. And then the exact same verse 21, word for word, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now notice how this one dude blames the master. He turns it on the master. You were such, you're such a hard boss, it's so hard to please you, I just decided to bury it. It's not my fault, it's your fault. Be very, very, very careful to live your lives blaming someone else. Blaming your parents, blaming your government, blaming your past, or blaming your God. You're going to get in all kinds of trouble if you do that. You take responsibility for you. 
Even if some things in the past didn't go well, you take responsibility for you. Verse 25, so I was afraid and I went and I out and I hid your gold in the ground. See here is what belongs to you. The Bible says over and over and over again, you and I will have to give an account of how we manage all of God's possessions that he gave us, the time that he gave us, the gifts and abilities that he gave us, the kids that he gave us. We talked about that this morning. And yeah, at some point in time, the finances that he gave us. He will want to know what you did with that. By the way, how many of you have been ever, ever been audited by show of hands? God bless you. God bless you. I see the hand. God bless you. One thing that's different between God's audit and the IRS audit, you know what the difference is? You're not going to have to bring any receipts or any records to the conference room in heaven. He's got them all. He's already got them. You're going to sit down and he's going to go through with you what you did with what he gave you. Now, by the way, I'm going to give you a little peek into what we're covering the next couple of weeks. There's going to be five areas he's going to cover, five questions he's going to ask you. These right here. Let's put them up on the screen. God's financial audit. Number one is, did you earn honestly? Did you earn money honestly? This is a big deal. Working hard is a big deal. Okay. And, and working and earning money honestly and honorably matters to God. Okay. The second thing he's going to ask you is, did you give generously? Did you give generously? This isn't just about giving to church or, or to God. No, this is about giving to other organizations that aren't, you know, you know, uh, that have nothing to do with church, but are great organizations or missionaries or people that we know that have a need and maybe we can help them out. Did you give generously? Were you that kind of a person? You know, they say me. I don't know if you've heard this before. Money is like manure. Money is like manure. If you spread it around, like it fertilizes things, it makes things grow. But if you pile it up and just hoard it, it starts to stink. Some of you are like, oh, I'm putting that on my Facebook. I like that. <laughs> Give it out. Did you spend wisely? Did you spend wisely? God, not, God has no problem with you buying cool stuff. He doesn't. And enjoying it. But if you spend all you have, a little bit of a problem. If you spend on credit, a little bit of a problem. If you spend only on yourself, a little bit of a problem. So there's a lot that he has to say about are you spending wisely. The next one is, did you save proactively? Did you say, by the way, no one ever saves by accident. I don't ever bump into someone that says, I, I wasn't even trying. After six months, look at all I saved. No, you've got to be intentional and proactive about saving. Now, I know what about half of you are thinking. I'm like, I'm like month to month. At the end of the month, I have nothing. There's no way I can do that. There's no way I can save. Yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. Let me give you an example. Let's say you go tomorrow to Kaiser with one of your kids. And, uh, and the doctor says, you know, they've been coughing for two months. And, you, and, and the doctor says they have a very rare condition. Very rare condition. And, and the way we treat it is, is one year exactly from today. January of 2050. They will have, we will have to give them a special injection. Um, and if they get this injection, they'll be healed and they'll be fine. If they don't get this injection, they're going to be in deep trouble. The only problem is that your Kaiser plan doesn't cover that injection. And it's kind of, it's kind of expensive. It's going to cost about, I don't know, between 25 and $3,500 to get this injection. Question, 
Do you think over the next 12 months you could save about $3,000 for the injection? Some of you are like, well, which kid? I've got like three kids. And he's been... <laughs> you could save. You just don't want to save. And the last one is, did you invest intelligently? Right? It's amazing how much the Bible has to say about, about investing. I'm not going to get into it uh, at this point in time. But, but here's the thing. At some point in time, every one of us has to answer those questions. Think about that. Now, the last point he makes is it's not just about some time in the future at the end when I sit in the conference table in heaven and go over everything I've done. No, there is actually some day-to-day, right-now, practical implications to what I do with my money. It's the last point. Let's put it on the screen. Money management is both a financial and a spiritual matter. Verse 26 and 27. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I had not seed. Incredible investment principle right there. The idea that you get money two ways. Either you work for your money or you make your money work for you. I'm not going to get into it right now, but it's right there. He's saying, I don't have to be in, in the field to gain money from that investment. Very, very interesting. Then he goes, well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit in the bank so that when I return, you would have had received it back with interest. So don't bury it at the very least. Take it down to the Bank of America branch right down the street and put it in some CDs. At least I'll get like, I don't know, half a percent or one percent or whatever CDs are at. I would have at least got something. The master, Jesus, is not happy. Now, here's what's interesting to me. The word lazy, I can understand. Can't you? I can understand that. Dude, man, you, you could have at least put it into some very... Very basic, safe investment at at the bank. It's the word wicked that surprises me because it has a moral implication. When I use the word wicked, I think rape, I think sexual abuse, I think uh, taking advantage uh, uh, of the elderly and children, I think about murder. That's how I use the word wicked. I don't normally think of financial mismanagement as wicked. Here's what God's saying. You want to know what my definition of wicked is? Wicked is when you misuse the resources that I give you. Wicked is when you waste the resources I give you. I want you to enjoy them. I want you to maximize them. I want you to maximize them. And and, and then he adds, this is not just spiritual stuff. This isn't just your bank account. No, there are some spiritual implications. I don't have it on the screen But verse 29 and verse 30. Verse 28. Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. You want to waste my resources? I'm going to take it away from you. For those who have been given more, those who have will be given more, and those who have will be in abundance. Bible students are absolutely convinced he's not talking just about money here. He's talking about spiritual responsibility. Spiritual blessing. As for those who do not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is far more than just financial implications. There are spiritual implications. And the last verse will, floor, will, will just bust you out. Craziest verse. In, uh, look, look at how he ends. This is what the master says. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Question, uh, in the Bible, typically when the phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth is referred, what is it talking about? It's talking about hell. 
is, is he really saying that if I am financially irresponsible, I get thrown into hell? No, we don't think that's what he, he says there. The phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth used to refer to hell. What it literally means is when we are regretful of something we should have known better. So I'm driving out of here and, and I'm coming out, coming up on an intersection and it's, it's turning yellow, it's yellow. And I decide, even though I know that I can't make it, I decide I'm going to go through. By the time I get there, it's red and I'm going through a red light. As soon as I get through the red light, there's a police officer right there. They turn their lights on. They pull me over. When I am just pulling over, I am starting to weep and gnash my teeth. Urgh, I should have known better. Well, and then I tell them I'm a pastor, you know, I'm going to do something like that. I try to get out of it, right? <laughs> Gnashing of teeth is, I should have known better. You don't get thrown into hell. But when you leave the conference room, so many of us are going, what, I mean, what was I, what was I thinking? How could I think that if I own this much, I can spend that much? What, what was I thinking? It's a big deal. Billy Graham has been quoted as saying, our checkbooks, our theological documents, they tell us what we worship. It's true. It's hard to hear, but it's true. Now, the one verse that gets repeated twice, and I'm going to end with this, uh, is a verse that talks about reward. It's the idea that when we handle finances wisely, we're affirmed by God. Well done, good and faithful servant is literally what the verse says. I mean, isn't that why we're living? Don't you want to get to heaven and God say, Good job. You, you did good. You did good. I think that's what we want, right? There's a promotion. You get greater responsibility. There's celebration. Literally, it says, come and celebrate with your master. Celebrate with your master. A couple months ago, um, a couple months ago, almost a year ago, we went to watch my daughter Jessica in one of her plays. She was a musical or something. So we drove out to her school and we got there really early because we wanted to save seats. And it was like 30, 40 minutes early. And my daughter, Julia, says, my young daughter, eight, seven years old at the time, she says, Dad, can we get some candy? I said, sure, let's get some candy. So uh, we, we, you know, Sandy saved the seats. We went back to the gas station and she picked out some M&Ms. She had her M&Ms and I said, don't open them until we get there. So she got there and she opened her M&Ms and there she was in the back of the, of the, of the gym and she was eating her M&Ms. You know, and as she was standing there, we were looking for mom. Where's mom? You know, I wanted an M&M. So I reached over, put my fingers in her M&M bag and took it. And as soon as I did that, Julia said, Dad, no! Like about 20, 30 people turn around. You know, they're wondering if there's like child abuse going on in the back of the gym. You know, and I'm like, there isn't, but there's about to be. So just turn away, you know. And I realized this is a great teachable moment. It's a great teachable moment. Because my daughter had forgotten a couple things. Number one, she forgot who bought the M&M's in the first place. I bought the M&M's. By the way, she forgot the clothes that she's wearing. I bought those. The te- cute tennis shoes she's wearing, I bought those. The little game thing she was playing in the car, I bought that too. Everything she has at that age, Papa paid for. She owns Nothing nothing's mine no it you get to use it it's mine right she forgot that she forgot that if i ate all the bag of m&ms i'm loaded i'm in the top one percent of pastors i could buy a 
a boatload of M&Ms. I could replenish all the M&Ms she wants. She forgot that. She, she forgot that I love her. And I'll buy her M&Ms, I'll buy her Heath bars, you know, then I'll make her brush her teeth, then I'll buy her some more M&Ms. I love getting my kids candy, you know. She forgot that. You know, many of us have forgotten the very same thing with our Heavenly Father. All the M&Ms you have, He gave them to you. He bought the M&Ms that you have and you own. The car, the house, the clothes, the 401k plan, they're all his. They're all his. And if he chooses to reach in and he wants one, you don't yell at him. You don't whine, you don't groan. Don't forget whose M&Ms they are. Don't keep them only for yourself. If he wants you to share, share. And don't forget that someday you're going to sit down with God and he's going to ask you, what did you do with all the M&Ms that I gave you? And I hope you have a good answer. Let's stand. We'll close in a word of prayer. You guys are the six rich ones here. Don't share with anyone else. It's just you six get M&Ms. That's it. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for how you've blessed us as a church. You've given us a lot of good stuff. And we're just, we're appreciative of that and we're thankful. Father, um, I don't want to minimize and I don't, you don't, you don't want to minimize those people that they're hurting financially today, not because of any fault of their own. They've been struggling to find work or they've been out of work for all these months or even years. I just want to pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would remind them, you would whisper in their ear that um, what we talked about this, this morning matters, but, but they have to look at it a little bit differently. Father, remind us, we're the ones holding five bags of gold. If we want to play the comparison game, Father, help us not compare ourselves to people living in Blackhawk. Help us compare ourselves to people living in India. We are the wealthiest Christians in the history of Christendom. We're grateful for it, but we realize that along with that comes responsibility. Father, I pray that today the main thing you wanted to teach us is that what we have isn't ours. You've lent it to us. And just that alone, Father, I pray that you would flip the switch and help us think differently about what we have. Father, we love you. We're so incredibly grateful for everything you've given us. We're grateful for your word and how practical it is. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.